This is a Soulfire production. Everybody, welcome back to Politically Homeless. Coming to you from one of the most chaotic weeks, weeks I've had in a long, long time. But here we are. We're doing it finally. It's finally happening. And since it was kind of a slow news week, there's a few things to cover. A couple things to cover of note. Um, I reached out to the to the people, to the people of the world, and said, "Hey, what do y'all want to talk about? What do y'all want to get into?" So that's gonna that's gonna take the place of something to think about. We're just gonna discuss. Some of the best topics and questions that I got via Instagram, in the DMs, and in the little question box. So we can just play around a little bit, have a good time. But before that, we'll talk about Rachel Maddow, we'll talk about Tucker Carlson, and we will talk about Kamala Harris. Before we get into any of that, though, I want to thank Ty, Nicholas, Alexandra, and Will for joining the Patreon. Welcome to the crew. Grateful to have you. It's a good place to be, the Patreon, where you can just force me to talk about things that maybe I don't want to talk about. But you want me to talk about them. That's what really matters in the Patreon. You own me in a way, in a certain kind of way. So it's beautiful about the Patreon, really. It's like a little mini fascist state that will one day become a violent militia. It's just where we are. Like there's things I don't really want to dive into, right? There's things that I don't really think are, are really something that I want to explore. But if the people want it, the people get it in the Patreon. One of those things is Britney Spears. I will not be talking about Britney on this show. I don't know much about it. There are many people who have been following the Britney story, and I am not one of them. Also, something else that I don't really uh, think is worth discussing too much is this whole McAfee suicide murder Epstein situation. And here's the reason why. I'm going to give you my little brief synopsis on what my initial kind of knee-jerk and then upon a little bit further investigation, just kind of have this feeling in my gut that the dude killed himself. I really do. And it's not as fun to be like, oh, well, he, you know, he got, he got, uh, he got Epstein, you know, that, that's a, that's a way more fun way to go about looking at this whole thing. But he was a wild dude. He was 75 years old. Okay. He was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. I don't know if he had any dirt on anybody, not in the same way that Epstein did by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and he was kind of, he was kind of a kook, you know, like Alex Jones, kind of a kook, like not that they're, he's wrong about everything. That's definitely not true, but it's hard to take someone like that seriously. Now you have this guy who's 75 years old. He's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Who's been saying for years that if he does suicide himself, <laughs> that it won't have been him. Right. And his wife saying that he wasn't suicidal, all of these things. Knowing that this, right, if, if someone that's in the, in the state of mind where they're considering suicide. Generally speaking, I think many people in that framework will think, I'm doing this for the greater good, right? If I off myself here and everyone is convinced or many people are convinced that it was a deep state plot, well, then that's going to rile people up and that's going to further the movement as opposed to what would happen if I just wasted away in jail for the next 10 or so years until I died. That just seems like a better way to go out if you're someone like him. So for me, the motivation is there. And that changes things a bit. It's definitely not an Epstein to me. This is 1,000% not as relevant as an Epstein. That's why, and that's why I just don't want to, I don't feel like digging into it too much. I don't. But if I was in the Patreon, if somebody asked about it, I got to do my, I got to do my job. I got to do what I can do. That's why you should join the Patreon, patreon.com slash politically homeless. Link is in the show notes of this show. Now, as everyone knows, I'm moving this week. It's been wild. It's been crazy. I'll be working out of the only room that will not be moved is the studio. <laughs> so the studio will not be moved. I'll be working out of here. We have a green screen behind me for the videos because everything on the wall is taken down and it's covered in holes and we got to get that patched up and fixed up. It's a, it's just a wild time. I'm excited to get out there. We don't get internet out there until like the seventh. So it's going to be a little bit of a chaotic week and maybe that'll make for good content. Maybe it'll make for trash content, but I will put some stuff out into the world and I hope that you enjoy it. 
I hope that you do. And we're going to up-level things tremendously. We'll have um, a full green screen for satirical videos and more fun stuff like that, uh, a better studio. Hopefully, can get some people up there to interview. I'm going to be bringing back, once we get settled at the new place, I'm going to be bringing back a new show, right? Reviving what used to be The Realness, my old podcast, uh, which was all interviews. I'm going to be doing more interviews on that feed. So we'll have a step. We'll have the politically homeless feed, and then we'll have this other feed that is all interviews that we're working on right now, just to bring more content. Of course, everybody in the Patreon will get those ad free, um, and we'll do some more stuff there. Like it's really, I'm excited to move this thing forward, and it's really, it it's, feels like a lot of good things are happening right now, even though I'm living in complete chaos. Like today, it's just, and things also just keep happening, right? Like we have our stuff that's going on. We're planning a wedding. We're moving. We're doing this. And then for some reason, like my dog gets sick and has to, I think he ate like an edible that fell on the floor in the move somehow and was like super fucked up. And we thought something was really wrong. Like he had, like, he was having a stroke. Turns out, I think he just ate a bunch of THC off the floor, um, which I feel bad about, but that happens, right? So we're at the emergency room with the dog twice. Then my other dog decides to shit all over the floor today. And it's just, they're stressed out. They got a lot going on. He ate a bunch of grass, I think, when we were at the, at the new house yesterday. So it's like we had to throw away this rug, which is fine. It probably wasn't going to be moving with us anyways. But it's like, well, that, you know, it's like little things like that just keep happening. Things just keep happening. But we must persist. The show must go on, as people say in show business. Um, anything else? If you want to support the show and you don't want to join the Patreon because you're a cheap-ass bitch, um, you can go over to Apple Podcasts and you can leave a five-star review. You can share the show with some friends. That's a great way to support the show. Also, want to let y'all know that I went and saw Tim Dillon last night. I think I was like three rows in at Comedy Works. It was really good. His openers were good. It was good. It was good to see that. He needed a laugh. I laughed a lot. Tim is a funny guy. He's one of the, he's, he's definitely the best. In my opinion, Tim Dillon is the best podcaster right now. The best. Better than Joe. I hate to say it, better than Theo. He's the best. He's the best doing it. Especially somebody who's doing long-form solo content. It's great stuff. And I'm proud of the dude. I really am. He's a funny motherfucker. And it was real. I needed to get out. I needed to laugh. I needed some time to just be. Now, what's funny, and Tim Dillon brought this up in his set, actually, is that we had to wear masks. <laughs> Again, to our, but it's like, you know, in a restaurant, you like wear a mask to the table, whatever. Like, I thought we were done with this in Denver, but I guess not. Um, some certain places. It's like you wear, it's even more ridiculous in the comedy club. You wear your mask to your seat where you proceed to sit within six feet of like 14 people, right? So I'm like literally rubbing shoulders with the guy I'm sitting next to. And then there's like people right in front of me and people right behind me. I was like, this makes no fucking sense, but okay. Okay. This Chinese bioweapon must disrespect um, our gatherings. It's just the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. But with all that being said, I think that's enough. It's time to get into uh, the state of things. And then we'll bust out your questions and topics. Can't wait. Let's do it. State of things coming up right now. Well, there's some people out in the world, there are some people out in the world that think that Rachel Maddow is news. A few, right? And she's respected. She's, she's the most watched person on MSNBC in a very similar way. She's, a, she's like the Tucker Carlson. I would say she's the Tucker Carlson of MSNBC, right? Tucker Carlson runs Fox News. It's the Tucker Carlson network at this point. They're leaning in heavy. He's getting hella paid. And Rachel Maddow is very similar, but let's check this article out from Glenn Greenwald that we will deepen the similarities between Maddow and Carlson. So a court rules Rachel Maddow's viewers know she offers exaggeration and opinion, not facts. Going down here, MSNBC's top-rated host Rachel Maddow devoted a segment in 2019 accusing the right-wing cable outlet One America News Network, OAN, of being a paid propaganda outlet for the Kremlin. Discussing a Daily Beast article which noted that one OAN reporter was a Russian national who simultaneously writing copy for Russian-owned outlet Sputnik on a freelance contract. Maddow escalated the allegations greatly into a broad claim about OAN's real identity and purpose. In this case, she announced, the most obsequiously pro-Trump right-wing news outlet in America is literally a paid Russian propaganda outlet. 
So she's accusing these people of being a paid Russian propaganda puppet here, okay? Which is an egregious claim, but that's that's news now, right? It's like hyperbolic news is what you get on any kind of mainstream outlet, which is interesting, right? So in response, OAN sued Maddow, MSNBC, and its parent company, Comcast, Incorporated for defamation, alleging that it was demonstrably false that the network, in Maddow's words, literally is paid Russian propaganda. In an oddly overlooked ruling, an Obama-appointed federal judge, Cynthia Bashant, dismissed the lawsuit on the grounds that even Maddow's own audience understands that her show consists of exaggeration, hyperbole, and pure opinion, and therefore would not assume that such an outlandish accusation are factually true, even when she uses the language of certainty and truth when presenting them literally is paid Russian propaganda. Okay. It keeps going here. It says, in conclusion, that Maddow's statement would be understood even by her own viewers as non-factual. The judge emphasized that what Maddow does in general is not present news, but rather hyperbole uh, exploitation of actual news to serve her liberal activism. That's what a judge ruled, right? An Obama-appointed judge. Now, this is true, right? I mean, I don't think the judge is wrong that what she's saying is hyperbole and opinion, but that's not how people see it. That's not how people see Tucker and Maddow and Hannity and, uh, well, Brian Stelter. I don't think anybody, anybody takes Brian Stelter seriously, but like he, he takes himself seriously, which is comical and it's uh, on its face. But we had the situation, right? Where I think one of the things that's really beautiful about new media, right? And I'll consider myself as a small show on new, on the new media wave, right? You got Crystal and Sagar at Rising. You got Kyle Kalinske. You even have Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder to some extent, right? Even though he's a complete fucking joke. Um, so you have this, right, where it's not a secret that I have my own bias, right? Like, and they, and they are, that's what makes me politically homeless, and a lot of you that are listening, is that they're kind of all over the place. Like, it's more of a value pr- and principle-based assessment of, of what our politics will be as opposed to, like, an ideology. And maybe at some point, it's like everything, just like, um, let's just say Christianity was a bunch of different things, but from a buff- bunch of different uh, cultures that all merged together into one thing that became an ideology. They were like religiously homeless once upon a time, and then they kind of just merged different belief systems together and created their own narrative arc, and that became a religion and an ideology. So it's like that, that that's, that tends to be the way things happen, right? You have this kind of like chaos into order style of creating an ideology. So maybe in 100 years, politically homeless will turn into to something else and that the the massive amount of people that are unengaged politically um, will coalesce into some new ideology, maybe a third party, maybe a dictatorship. Who fucking knows really at the end of the day? But there's transparency, right? And that's the difference. There's transparency. No one, MSNBC or CNN or Fox News claims to be the least biased, right? In their, in their marketing, which is fucking horseshit. And you have the situation where now we have Maddow a court ruling that she is she offers exaggeration and opinion, not facts. Okay, and that's one thing you can have a lot of conjecture. The show that you're listening to right now has a fuck ton of conjecture, thoughts, opinions, and perspectives, and there is value in that. That is different than the news. I wouldn't call this the news. It's perspective on events that happen. It's more current events, uh, reflections, and 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 assessments, right? And calling bullshit. What you call more bullshit here than anywhere. But Rachel Maddow is addicted to Russia. Russia. I mean, you cannot turn her show on. And I've done this a few times, especially in the like about a year ago when I was really like just seeing what was going on in the media landscape when I was heavily criticizing it all the time in a similar way that Glenn Greenwald does, albeit not as well. But it's Russia, Russia, Russia. Everything is Russia. Even COVID became a Russia thing. It was the weirdest fucking thing. It's like this girl could not get off of COVID or got, get off of Russia, just riding Russia's dick to the end of the earth. It was weird. So we have the situation. Now we have this thing where now it's okay. Now OAN is, is Russian propaganda, right? Which is odd. And then this, this court ruling, which kind of gets glossed over, right? But if you go down here, and this is what's one thing that Glenn does really well is just points out hypocrisy. You have Chris Hayes saying this, right? So Chris Hayes tweeted this. Um, Kyle Cheney says, Justin, Chief of Staff Meadows tells a court that Trump didn't mean it when he said he was ordering the declassification of all Russian probe documents. Trump was just referring to his de- delegation of declassification authority to AG Barr, Meadows says. And then he says, similar to Fox News, News' defense in court of Tucker Carlson, these people are obviously bullshit artists who no one should trust. So Chris Hayes is saying that Fox News and Tucker Carlson are bullshit artists that no one should trust, right? 
because of the ruling that says that um, a judge rules that Tucker Carlson is not a credible news source, right? So the exact same language, the exact same language was used in a defense of Tucker Carlson in a lawsuit, okay? That was everywhere. It was plastered everywhere. You saw that and heard about that everywhere. But what you don't hear about is the exact same ruling from Chris Hayes' colleague at MSNBC, Rachel Maddow. Right, And it's smoke screens. And the funny thing is, if you're on one side of the political spectrum, you'll hear a bunch about Tucker Carlson being not news. right? And if you go on the other side, you'll hear a lot about Rachel Maddow being not news. And, and the best thing is that we should know that. right? We should know that and understand that. But this is really important to notice how much traction one got and how little traction the other got. And maybe that has something to do with the fact that this new poll came out saying that U.S. ranks last among 46 countries in trust in media. The Reuters Institute report Finds. Just 29% of people surveyed in the U.S. say they trust the news compared to 45% in Canada and 54% in Brazil. Now, is that a problem that we've completely lost faith in not just media institutions, but institutions in general? Right? There is a large anti-government push right now. There's a large anti-institution push. I mean, there's a lot of people like me who, who had doubts about the uh, big pharma and, and just big business in general and how they become completely impersonal at scale and there's a deferral of a responsibility, which leads to really problematic things, which is why I think libertarianism is kind of a joke in many ways. Um, and we look at the situation here and we have to add all this up, right? When you're presenting opinion as fact on both sides to highly opinionated audiences and not offering any kind of resistance to their internal cognitive bias. That's a problem. And the one thing is like, there's an easier way to grow a show. And I keep kind of using my show as a, as a, as kind of a, a barometer here, but there's easier ways to grow a show, right? If I went full socialist or full, you know, stop the steal MAGA, whatever, I would be much more popular. I would have a bigger audience for sure. That, I have zero interest in doing that, right? Maybe it's because I make money outside of this show and I can handle that and I don't, I don't have like this need to grift, right? So with that situation, what I get to do, what I have the privilege to do and what anybody who has a platform, large or small, has, a, has the ability to do is challenge people's cognitive bias, right? Surprise people with your opinions because really any well-rounded individual have surprising takes, and have takes, and they'll be able to hold ideas. This is one of the things, mental health is a very interesting thing, right? In a healthy cognitive process, you'll be able to hold two conflicting ideas inside your mind at the same time and almost have an internal debate with yourself as to which one is more valid, trying to steel man each side of an argument. That creates a very robust thought process. And we aren't able to do that Given and, and some people are right, but you have to really go for it. You got to search it out. You got to find a way to do it as opposed to that being the standard that we set when it comes to media and, uh, and ob objective journalism, real journalism, right? Challenging power, challenging our own ideologies and challenging ourselves to be better critical thinkers. We've, we've thrown that out for the sake of capitalistic uh, profit motives. And that's really what it is. I mean, we can say this over and over again. But it's easier to make money telling people what they want to hear, right? Just like, and Matt Taibbi does a great job with this in his book, Hate, Inc. It is very much like professional wrestling. You have a hero and you have a heel, right? And the hero needs to win. So if you are a media outlet and your hero is Democratic Party or your hero is the Republican Party or your hero is fucking anybody, right? If even it's Bernie Sanders or, I don't know, Ron Paul, like anybody, then, then your narrative now has to be constructed for that hero to go through a trials and tribulations and win. And then you have more and more allegiance to that. It's a very interesting situation, but we've got to really look at this and be and take this pretty seriously because I, I agree that this it may be a good thing for now that we don't trust institutions. But what that should push institutions to do, whether in media or government institutions, is, is create more accountability for themselves and more transparency on who they are and why they do what they do. And, and I don't know, if we shouldn't have complete faith in institutions. I think that's also a problem. But they don't ever hold themselves to account and they don't move themselves forward. And they don't allow us to, to give them the opportunity to earn our trust back. It's the assumption that we're supposed to trust these institutions that is incredibly problematic. And... That is a symptom of a toxic relationship. 
That is where gaslighting comes from. It's a narcissistic codependent relationship. And it seems like some people are codependent on Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow. And that is a fucking problem. So we need to move forward through this and do a better job really do a better job of holding these media companies to account and things like maybe this show, maybe your Instagram profile, maybe who you follow, how you see it, you can seek out, be the change you want to see. I know it's a fucking cliche, but it matters, right? Be the change you want to see. Follow people you don't agree with. As many people as you don't, that you don't agree with as you do agree with, right? For everybody you follow who like posts great memes that like confirm your already existing beliefs, follow someone else. If you follow libertarian page, boom, go follow the decadent socialist right? Follow an anarchist page. It makes for, it makes for challenging your own ideas. And also sometimes when you do something like that, you can see where things overlap and where the common ground is. And that can be a beautiful experience in its own. But this is really interesting. Rachel Maddow confirmed, not news, just like Tucker Carlson. And just 29% of people say they trust the news in the United States. Interesting stuff. Wild times. We'll see where this goes. But this is, in my opinion, the part of the evolution of our media platforms. And I'm ex just excited and interested to see where this shit goes. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of Element, the best beverage for you and the most delicious beverage you'll ever find that doesn't have any sugar in it. Let's be real. You're not hydrated enough, okay? Now, there's people out there in the world, professional athletes, special ops people, high performers of just of various kinds that rely on Element to get maximum hydration up in their bodies. Now, you may not be a high performer or a special ops person or a professional athlete. Maybe you are. Fuck if I know. But what I can tell you is that Element is the shit. Now, it's getting hot getting hot out there. You're going to be sweating a lot. Hopefully you're out doing things. Maybe you're, maybe you're out at, a, at the club, just getting weird. And just all that hydration is just pouring from your body. It's just pouring out and you got to replenish the, the loss there. Okay. And one thing you need to do that is a little bit of salt and a little bit of magnesium. Now the people over at elemental labs, Rob Wolf being one of them have put together this beautiful beverage supplement that will soak right up into your cells. It just soaks it just soaks it right up. It just turns you into a sponge for hydration on the inside. And you don't get that very often. I mean, you can just drink plain water, I guess, but how much plain water do you really want to drink? You know, you want to mix it up a little bit. And that's why they have this new flavor, watermelon, and an even newer flavor, grapefruit salt, that is just so refreshing. So refreshing. I recommend that you sweat a lot. I recommend you get in the fucking sauna. I recommend you get in the ice bath. I recommend you fuck to exhaustion. And all of those things will be better if you stay hydrated with Element. Now, what you got to do is go over to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes. No worries. Just click it. And you're going to get a variety pack for five bucks. Just cover the shipping. It's $5. Get that variety pack and try it out. You will not be disappointed. I recommend getting that free vari or that variety pack just paying for shipping. I don't want to say it's free because you got to pay for shipping. But grab that. Get that thing, get you some uh, get you some watermelon and get you some grapefruit because it's summertime and that refreshness is needed. I also love the lemon habanero and I like to mix the lemon habanero with a little bit of uh, Tobo Chico and a little bit of tequila for the summer. Stay hydrated, catch a buzz, do your thing, feel good. Got a housewarming party coming up pretty soon because we are moving and we'll be out there getting uh, a little sauced on Element Rita's. So, do it, drinkelement.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes of this show. Hydration is health. Perform better, be better, and stay moist with Element. Drinkelement.com slash wanders. Get that variety pack for five bucks. Do it. Now let's get back to the show. Kamala Harris border visit rebuked for being far from the epicenter of the crisis. So Kamala Harris and her awful political instincts have shit the bed once again. So let's go down here. Vice President Kamala Harris is being denounced by lawmakers for visiting El Paso, Texas, instead of the more highly active areas of the U.S.-Mexico border. Harris's official announcement on June 25th, uh, uh, excuse me, announced the June 25th trip, stating she'd be accompanied by the Lone Star State Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Um, the trip comes as Harris has been heavily criticized, primarily by Republicans, for not traveling to the southern border since she was tapped by President Joe Biden to lead the effort to curb 
migration. But on Thursday, Texas Democrat Henry Kuehler rebuked uh, Harris for visiting El Paso instead of the Rio Grande Valley. Kuehler says that Harris was talking, taking the politically safe route. Of course she was. Of course she was taking the politically safe route. This is Kamala Harris. She couldn't even make it through the fucking Democratic primary. She didn't even get to Iowa. She dropped out because she fucking sucks and people don't like her. This is why people hate this woman. This is why I'm excited to watch her try and win a primary in 2024. It's going to be fun as shit to make content around her failure. I cannot wait. I'm calling it right now. Colossal Kamala failure is going to happen in 2024. It will be hilarious. I'm curious what's going to happen at the midterms. I'm so curious what's going to happen at the midterms. But is this a surprise to anyone that she's going to El Paso instead of the Rio Grande Valley? And then you give the Republicans, I mean, they, it's like she's, a, she's gifting the conservatives and the Republicans with everything they want. Everything they want. She's going to El Paso. She'll probably do kind of some kind of talk with Beto O'Rourke around fucking guns and AR-15s or some shit as if they account for more than 10% of gun violence, which they don't. Um, and you're going to go through this situation, right? So it makes sense that she's going there. She's going to do whatever. She should go to the Rio Grande Valley, then probably El Paso, because El Paso is a place where she needs to like start putting in some legwork campaign-wise. But her political instincts and her cowardice are so just embarrassing. Embarrassing. Go take responsibility. We've had this conversation on the show numerous times. You are the vice president of the United States. You need to be accountable for yourself, and you need to do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. This is insane. Now, I understand, like, when I see people, that they have a map of Texas, and I think James Klug did this, and then we kind of got into it in the comments, and they put, like, oh, she's visiting, like, so far away from the epicenter, and they just show Texas. Like, the Mexico-U.S. border goes way further than Texas, so you could argue that she's visiting, like, the middle of the border, but there's also a fucking border wall there. So, you're visiting a place that has a border wall because it's safer, it's a politically safe route, when you need to be doing a fucking Mexico-U.S. border tour. All the way across the bitch. That's what you need to do. Now, and, and it's so clear that the only reason you actually pulled the trigger and did this is because of public pressure, which is good that we know that we can pressure Republicans and, or pre, excuse me, pressure politicians to do some things. But if you think that Trump deciding to visit the Rio Grande Valley had nothing to do with this, he's still up, he still won up to her, right? If he was going to go visit the border and she was like, cool, I'm going to um, one up you by going to the Rio Grande Valley, then going to El Paso, then going to Arizona, then going to California, right? Doing this whole thing. That would be the move, right? That would be a straight flex because Trump doesn't have the money to do that kind of travel right now. And I don't think his fundraising is going all that well, right? But when you give him an opportunity to do something like this, it increases his ability to raise funds and increases his likelihood of becoming a, a viable candidate in 2024. Now, the polls are showing that DeSantis is actually the favorite uh, in some early straw polls, which I would love to see. I think the Republicans need to distance themselves from Trump to give everybody a quality candidate they can get behind who's not a fucking piece of shit. That's where I'm at, right? But when we look at this, we got to think Kamala Harris. What? It's like she's intentionally bad. It's like Joe Biden is not all there, right? So I don't like even cover the guy that much because he's kind of a, custo a custodian of a president, right? It's just normal. Let's take four years, reassess. And that's why I voted for the guy. I'm like, let's just, just get, get through this next four years, reassess, and then make some moves. Because everything is so fucking chaotic right now that we can't really like even evaluate things. Clearly, the media's lost its goddamn mind. Now what's great is that the media is losing viewership like crazy, which is gonna help, I think actually help us in the long in the long run. And we have this kind of time to just reassess. That's what it looks like to me. But with Kamala Harris shitting the bed every five minutes, it makes it worse and worse. But the funny thing is, the funny thing is, it, it, I look at this and I think, okay conservatives who hate Kamala Harris. Many of us on the left hate Kamala Harris too. Okay. We're all on the same page, but what I'm watching you people do. Yes. You people conservatives of all stripes is do the same thing that you complained about being done to Trump. Okay. What MSNBC was doing to Trump is the same thing that Fox News was doing to Obama and the same thing that Fox News and everyone else is doing to them now. You're perpetuating the cycle that you pretend to hate, but you don't hate it. You don't hate it. You just hate it when it's done to your guy, right? And the funny thing is, when you have somebody that's actually on the left, like me, like I enjoyed the criticism 
there, right? What I don't enjoy is whenever you have one of your people leading this country and you don't hold them to account at all. And I'm talking to you, Charlie Kirk. You don't disagree with them at all. You stay right in lockstep and just ride their dick all the way through, all the way through their, their, uh, their presidency. Not one bit of criticism. That is the makings of a pussy. And I, I hate saying that. I really do. Because I wish that just like Glenn Greenwald here, people held their own side to account more often. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen at all. So when you watch this kind of like narrative around Kamala Harris going to the border not being enough, understand that yes, some of those criticisms criticisms are valid and I'm with them. I just echoed them right now. But in the way that people are viewing Biden and Harris from the right and doing the exact same shit that the 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 Democrat liberal media, whatever you want to call it, doing the exact same shit that they did to Trump, and you think that it's not going to go tit for tat next time around. Right? Again, maybe the theme of this whole show is be the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by be the fucking change that you want to see because it's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. So chill, reevaluate, use this time. And what I'm seeing conservatives doing right now isn't reevaluating their position, isn't reevaluating their policy, isn't thinking about ways to win. It's just crying. It's crying about Joe Biden and crying about Kamala Harris. That's all Ben Shapiro is doing right now. That's all he's doing. He's fucking crying. He's like, shut the fuck up, you pussy little bitch. I don't know what to do with you. Quit crying. Like, bring me something productive. Like, criticize, bring forward better ideas. That happens sometimes. But you're not seeing that. Steven Crowder, crying. Crying. It's fucking obnoxious. Like I've never, and, then, and these are the same people somehow who think that like uh, family values and masculine men are important. How about this, Steven Crowder? Masculine men do something besides fucking cry all the time. Like you're just whining. And I expect it from purple haired liberals. Like that's fine. But come on, guys. Like hold yourself to a higher standard. And maybe I do a lot of complaining on this show too. Maybe I'm completely full of shit. Who fucking knows? But I'm just saying what I see. Kamala Harris has the worst political instincts of anyone in the fucking country. Like, I think, you know, Tally from South Park would do a better job putting a campaign together. And he's high all the time. It's weird times. Weird times. Kamala Harris is doing what she just is. Be grateful. Be grateful that she's giving everyone from the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, whoever's going to run against her at some point, somewhere, sometime, she's giving them plenty of ammunition. So maybe show a little gratitude instead. Now, that's all we're covering for the state of things. We're getting into something to think about, which is full of your questions, your topics, your concerns, your thoughts, your feelings. Let's do it. Something to think about coming up right meow. gonna be fun there's some good ones in here might get a little fired up i think we may just run this out as one whole video see if i can just kind of go rapid fire style we'll see that's how the sausage is made a little look behind the scenes in the creation of majestic content so i actually don't have the name for the person who sent this to me but they wanted me to just speak on this so let's check this out what we have here is uh paul nicolin and he is I think he's a marine biologist or something. He does a lot of like whale and shark stuff, which is super cool. He says, dolphins unintentionally coat their bodies with diesel fuel as they play beneath a massive mysterious spill currently drifting off the coast of San Diego. My friend Dolphin, Dolphin Drone Dom, who captured this moment from the air, writes, tragic, tragic doesn't even begin to cover it. More than 50 miles of ocean was covered in a thick sheen of oil and a devastating tragedy for the environment. The spill epicenter is roughly 65 miles southwest of San Diego near San Clemente Island in one of the most uh, vital summer feeding grounds for critically endangered blue whales. So we have this video here, and I just want to play this video real quick. 
for those of you that are watching, but we have, it's just dolphins cruising, doing dolphin shit. But, and I thought this was some kind of weird, like, um, camera lens, but it's just, it's just the sheen of oil on the water. I thought it was like a therm. It looks like a thermal camera, but it's just them just kind of just doing their thing, but they're unintentionally just swimming through, uh, piles of, of diesel fuel that are just floating around in the ocean. It's kind of beautiful in a weird way, but you're seeing this and this is just absolutely insane. Like absolutely insane. And, and they wanted to know my thoughts on this. My thoughts on this are there's no accountability for places like BP and people who dump shit into the fucking ocean. Right. And when I see stuff like this, right, it just reinforces my thought that like, hey, there's too many fucking people on the planet. I know that Alex Jones will disagree with me, but that's fine. There's too many fucking people on the planet and so little accountability. Like that, when, when, when someone, like when you watch this thing, like uh, the Marvel uh, uh, Infinity Wars, right? Um, Avengers. And you see Thanos wanting to like decrease the population of the universe by half to, it's like you, the reason those characters are compelling is because you kind of agree with them. You kind of agree with them. If you've seen that show Utopia on Amazon Prime, which I highly recommend, John Cusack's character is not wrong. And what he's doing may be wrong, but his premise is not wrong. So when I see something like this and I see the damage that, that humans do and how we've completely outgrown ourselves and, you know, we have the ability to blow each other up, it's like maybe we weren't supposed to get there. Maybe we should have had different motivations, right? Maybe we advanced too quickly. And then we have shit like this happening, which is super frustrating to me. But yeah, it's, I'm glad to bring a, show, shine a little light on this. Um, super sad, super frustrating. And we can do better, but... I don't foresee that happening anytime soon because every time I get my hopes up, they get quashed. Uh, anyways, all right. So Clayton JS says, please dissect the quote, you don't understand critical race theory, end quote, happening on the left. So the argument here is that people, because we have a lot of people speaking out against, in, you know, writing bills against critical race theory being taught in schools, things like that. And I guess some of the arguments from the left, and I looked a little bit of this up, is that you don't understand. The only reason you're trying to ban critical race theory is that you don't understand critical race theory. Um, I will be honest here and say that most politicians, especially conservatives, don't understand critical race theory because they're mouthpieces and aren't paid to think. They're paid to say and do. And in this situation, what's happening right now is now critical race theory has become a political football. Right. It's like, oh, well, you know, the Democrat, it just furthers the narrative that the Democrats, the real racist, you know, like, shut the fuck up. It's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like, there's races on both sides. You are fucking idiots. Stop with this. Stop. So they're not wrong in that most people don't understand critical race theory, but understanding it is not like the barrier to approving of it. Right. The more you under, the more I understand about it, the more I'm like, this is more problematic than I thought because it was just on the face doing what it said, it, what, it, what it intends to do. If it was transparent in that way, it would be less problematic. It's very sneaky, very sneaky. It's like, it's like naming something like uh, the Patriot Act, for example. It's very sneaky. That's a sneaky thing to do because it's bullshit. It's a fucking lie, right? But it sounds good, as does critical race theory to people who have a lot of like white guilt or some shit. So it doesn't help. It doesn't help that the Republicans who are speaking out against critical race theory are people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who now have given the people that are proponents of critical race theory more leverage because she is a complete moron. <laughs> like it's just it's like the Jewish space laser lady, the QAnon lady is now against critical race theory. It's like, well, she doesn't really have any ground to stand on as far as being like credible. So we have the situation. And it is just like everything else where now they're trying to take a thing and make it political, just like they did with masks and vaccines and everything else. It became political. So now the information you get about it is not going to be clear. It's just, it's the same. It's the same fucking system. It's the playbook, right? Make it political. Use it to divide people. Great distraction tactic. And when we look at this whole thing, we, a lot of what critical race theory is about is kind of rewriting history in a way. And in many, way, in many ways that they want to rewrite history are actually more accurate. Now, the conjecture tied to that, I don't agree with in many ways. But I do like people like Howard's in and how they'll put things out like the, the uh, people's history of the United States, which give a little bit more clarity on the background behind what was going on. 
right? Like what was really happening? How was this really, how was, how were things really put together? And it's really interesting to think about it that way versus this kind of like one line narrative that we have of like our history, you know, and this kind of like America first kind of bias that we have in this, you know, and we look at this and we think, all right, I look at it and say, I think one of the best things we can do is teach accurate history, real accurate history in school, not patriotic history, not that, that, that's not patriotic history is not history. It's propaganda. Okay. If your history has a slant as what is best and who wins and who's the, who's better and who's the savior, that's propaganda. That's not history. It's always more complicated than that. And if we can do that and teach kids, here is the downside of having all the fucking power, right? You have things like a, a westward expansion genocide of the native Americans. Right, you have things like the Holocaust. If you think that those things are, are are disproportionately outbalanced, like one is worse than the other, you're fucking wrong. That's a genocide, and that blood is on America's hands, on the United States' hands. Okay, accept that. It's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it's fucking true. And the reason that things like critical race theory have legs is because we've been in denial of honest history. I don't agree with critical race theory, but I can tell you why it's popular. It's because you go through fucking school and you learn a bunch of fucking bullshit <laughs> and then you learn the truth and you resent the people who lied to you. So if we can start teaching an accurate history and some people have written in and said, you know, I, I actually learned that stuff in, in high school. It's like, well, you're in the minority, honestly. You got to seek out, you got to seek out honest information that's not provided to you in many ways. And we have another question here about school curriculum, which we'll go more into depth. But I think that argument of you don't understand it is... is I mean, that argument gets deployed all the time. That argument gets deployed by Christians. It's like, oh, well, there's people that pretend to be Christians but aren't actually Christians. It's like, fucking chill out. Like, like, get your people to fucking, those are your people. You're responsible for those idiots. The people that are holding signs up that say women that wear skirts deserve to be raped. Those are your fucking, if you're a Christian, those are your people. Keep them in check. Do something about it. But you don't. You sit on your fucking ass and you don't do a goddamn thing, which is the same thing that's happening on the critical race theory side. It's really hard to understand it when you have a lot of critical race theorists who have been in this in a while who say Robin DiAngelo and Ibram Kendi aren't critical race theorists. Well, they're the recommended reading for everybody. So why don't, do you ever speak up against that? Do you ever speak up loudly and say, hey, as a critical race theorist, these people are, have, it, have it wrong? No, because you're a fucking coward in the same way that Christians who don't speak up against Christians who are doing dumb shit are fucking cowards. And it's like, well, that's what they believe, I guess. So if you're going to criticize critical race theory, how about you start with criticizing your own deeply held beliefs and the people that are perpetuating those in a really problematic way? Because if you don't do that, if you don't do that, I don't give a fuck what you think about critical race theory because you are not a thinker. You are not honest. You're not intellectually honest. And if you can't criticize your own deeply held beliefs and you want to go criticize critical race theory, fuck off. I don't care. Criticize your own beliefs first. I don't like critical race theory, but I also fucking challenge my own beliefs all the time. It's probably the, one of the only things I'm really good at in this world is challenging my own beliefs and having severe doubts about everything that I believe. Now, do I hold everybody else to that standard? No. But if I see you not questioning your own beliefs, like I don't really give, I don't really give a fuck what Charlie Kirk has to say about critical race theory. I could give a fuck less. Now, when it's Brett Weinstein or someone like that, right? Someone who speaks up or, or Coleman Hughes, these kind of guys who... Obviously, Sam Harris challenged themselves cognitively. Yeah, I care what they have to say. I do. Because they've proven that they're critical thinkers. But if you're fucking Charlie Kirk or, or, or we're just going to keep on bringing up Kirk and, and Crowder or Ben Shapiro, it's like, no, I don't really give a fuck what you have to say about critical race theory. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because anything coming from the left, you've already so anything coming from the left is, a, is, a, is demonic in your mind. So fuck off. I don't care. Like, your takes are useless to me. Sorry. If you, want, if you want to be respected for your criticisms, then earn that respect. It's not given. It's not giving by picking a side and yelling a bunch. It's not how it works. Not how it works. All right. Tipsy with awe says, the female athlete who got booted off to make room for Laurel Hubbard at the Olympics. So if you don't know Laurel Hubbard, uh, first trans athlete competing in the Olympics. She's a weightlifter. She's 43 years old. Um, she was a man. She's still a biological man, but she, was, she identified as male. For the first 30 some odd years. So she spent, I think it was about 30 years. So she was 30 years old when she decided to transition. She was competing in weightlifting at that, in that, that time as well. Uh, but never on the national level, right? She never, or international level, especially. So we have this, this man who didn't transitions to a woman. 
And now is competing as a woman in weightlifting in the super heavyweight class above, I think it's above 89 kilos or like 90 kilos and up. So that's about 200 pounds and up, um, which is interesting because I have a lot of experience with this because I was a weightlifter. I was, a, I was an Olympic weightlifter. I not didn't compete at the Olympics, but Olympic weightlifting is a sport and I participated in that sport. So when I look at this and I've, I've been watching this a lot, this is kind of like, this is, reminds me is very similar in the way that like Rogan talked about um, the, the trans fighter who was beating the shit out of women. Like that because fighting is his thing. Like weightlifting is my thing. I still watch weightlifting. I love weightlifting. I'm excited about weightlifting in the Olympics, every weight class, especially people from uh, Asian countries and Europe. Uh, American weightlifters are kind of shit. Um, but we have this, this person, Laurel Hubbard, who uh, won a spot at the Olympics. And usually they would take three people, um, which they did take three people, but two of them are biologically women and one of them is Laurel Hubbard. Uh, she still cannot beat the American super heavyweight. Sarah, I forget her last name, but Sarah something. She's a G. She's, a G. she's fucking, she's better technically. Um, she's stronger. It's really impressive. Sarah, what the hell is her last name? I cannot think about it. I want to say Sarah Coburn, but that's not right. It's Sarah something with a C. But she's, in, she's incredible. And she beat Laurel. So I, mean, I think she's a she almost beat, broke the broke the American record. So she's she's a she's a she's a beast, um, and I think she will beat Laurel at the Olympics. And I'm rooting for everyone to beat Laurel at the Olympics because what's happening right now is fucking unfair. And the reason I say that, right? What is going to use? So I was a 105 kilo weightlifter, so I, and I I wasn't a heavy 105. I usually came in about 106, 107. So I was a really light light heavyweight, uh, basically is where I was. Okay, my best numbers in Olympic weightlifting at a meet, right? So I've done more than this, but at a meet in competition were 126 and 153 or four, I believe, right? So 126 kilo snatch, 154 kilo clean and jerk. Um, Laurel's numbers are 126, 145, I think. So 126 kilo snatch, which is the same as mine, and then a little bit lighter on the clean and jerk, okay? So as a 105 kilo male athlete, I was still just shy of making American nationals. Making American nationals on the on the global weightlifting scene is not a big deal at all, right? Because American weightlifters generally aren't as good as Europeans, uh, Russians, Chinese. Like, there's a lot of better weightlifters in the world than Americans. Um, so we have this situation now where this woman has a chance to medal when, as a man, she would be completely irrelevant, right? There's guys that in the in the in the 85 kilo weight class that will destroy her, right? So we have this situation now where it's like, if she was lifting those numbers or even adding 10, if she added 20 kilos to each one of her lifts as a, as a 105, or if she, if she was snatching 140s, right? Which is in the 300 pounds. And she 126 is like 278 um, or something like that. Uh, so if she was snatching 20 kilos more on each lift, she would still not make the Olympics, Right? as a man. So we have this situation now where this person has the bone structure, the tendon strength, the uh, capillary density, the, the, and this is one of the things that people don't understand about, um, about the difference in male and female, anabolic receptors. Anabolic receptors are a big deal. Men, the reason that men are stronger up top, okay, in the upper body, biologically is because they have more anabolic receptors because you change your beliefs about who you are as a person that does not change the distribution of anabolic receptors in your body. Okay. Even if you do have higher estrogen and lower testosterone does not change the distribution of anabolic receptors in your body. And you can tell with Laurel Hubbard that she is leaning heavy on her biological advantage of being a man. Okay. And the reason I say that is because her technical lifts are not very good. She's not a very technical lifter. Okay. She's soft in the bottom. Her right hip gets a little bit wonky. I watched her lift a lot. She leaves jerks out front. And the only reason she can make those lifts is because she used to be a man. The only reason she is making the lifts she's making, the only reason she is qualifying for the Olympics is because she used to be a man, not because of her technical ability, not because of her strength, none of that shit. The tendon, the tendon strength and the anabolic receptors are the reason that she can afford taking 140 some odd clean, a kilo clean and jerk and leaving it out front in the jerk. And I know I'm getting kind of technical here, but she's leaving it out front. Her technique is fucking shit. She doesn't stay over the bar long. I mean, I can break down her technique right now. If we had a video up, I should do this one day. I'll, I'll break it down. I'll show you her deficiencies versus a weightlifter in that weight class who's a female who is much more technically profi proficient and objectively a better lifter, but 
doesn't have the advantage of being a man for 30 years. So it's fucked up. It's super fucked up. And you're in my, you're in my wheelhouse now, right? Like I can talk about other, we can talk about other things. Like it's pretty clear. I played a little bit of rugby. Like there's the trans women that play rugby are like two and a half times the size of everybody else in the field. It's insane. But when you're talking that, but there's a skill component to that. That's a little bit different, right? If you're faster, you can get away with things. And rugby isn't as physical of a sport as people think it is. It's, it's rough, but it's not like football and it's not like fighting. It's a different kind of rough. Um, so when you have the situation now where it's, this is a strength sport, okay? A strength and power sport in Olympic weightlifting. You now, and I know, and a lot of people, most people in the Olympics, especially in weightlifting, are on steroids, right? They're doing performance enhancing drugs. It's especially when not maybe not while they're at the games, but in their careers. It's just part of the sport. And to think that, that otherwise is super naive. So we have the situation with her where. She, and I'm going to keep saying this, the only reason she can pull off what she pulls off is because she used to be a man. That's it. It's that simple. And it's like, well, yeah, all kinds of body types and different stuff, whatever, whatever, genetics. Yeah, but it doesn't change the fact that men have more anabolic receptors in their upper body. And if you don't have those now, maybe they just magically disappeared when she started believing that she was a woman. That's fine. But she still had them for 30 fucking years. Now, she would have transitioned at like, 10 years old or something like that, we could have a different conversation. We could have a different conversation, but we're not having that conversation. What we're having a conversation that people who wait every four years and train their whole lives, getting the Olympics is not a joke. It's a, it's a commitment to a lifelong commitment. And now you have a 43 year old, which is past the prime in weightlifting by a little bit. Weightlifters usually peak in their mid thirties, mid to late thirties, especially as men. I think women is a little bit later, but you have the situation where you have a, 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 an athlete that's too old <laughs> competing in the women's weightlifting. And the only reason they're able to do that is because they used to be a man. And that is super, super fucked up. Moving on, Ashley Craft 15 says, government influence on public school curriculum. The biggest influence I see here is in things like government and history. And as we talked about with critical race theory, I think we have a, we have a really... We have a, an, an almost an obligation, but a responsibility. We'll say a responsibility to teach kids accurate history, the dirty shit, especially in high school, junior high, not so much, right? Give them the give them the framework in junior high, right? But in high school, when you've got that four years of history, you got to do it in college, especially giving people an accurate representation of history. That's one thing that I really appreciated about some of the education that I got in college at Texas State, which was oddly good. Um, is that we got to explore things and like learn how to think. My, my friend Curtis, uh, he is a high school teacher and he's the one that introduced me to Howard Zinn actually and the People's History of the United States, which he teaches in his, in his classroom. And a lot of people will hate Howard Zinn. I don't care, okay? I think it's important because it balances out the, the large skew in the other direction. So it's in, in that People's History of the United States. I haven't finished it, but I, I pick it up and, and when I'm, especially when I'm doing long drives and just listen to a chapter because it's like really intense stories and you learn a lot. You learn a lot from that. So when we look at that, we have a responsibility to teach people accurate history. And I think over the long term, that's an investment in our future as a, as a society. Because then you can understand what's going on, how things became what they are, why there is some disenfranchisement, and then why people are frustrated. Like These are all things that we can understand and dissect through government history. But we don't. And I think the influence, and the reason is because the United States government pays for that education with our tax money, of course, but they pay for that education and they're not going to pay for an education that makes them look bad. So at the end of the day, government-sponsored education is propaganda, which is why I'm very hesitant to like, when I do have kids, put them in the public school system and they'll probably be those assholes who has like, well, my dad said, my dad said, <laughs> cannot wait for those days. All right, moving on. A day at the beach says, what being a masculine energy man and a feminine energy woman actually means. So I would refer you to uh, David Data if you want to get into the spiritual realm of things or my buddy uh, Stephanos Safandos on Instagram. So with these two people, uh, both talk on this a lot and are more educated on this than I am. But I understand we got to understand if we want to take things out, and this is this transcends male and female, right? There's masculine uh, women, and that doesn't have anything to do with like aesthetics, but like masculine energy women and feminine energy man. I know a lot of people who are uh, in, married and have very successful marriages where the man is more feminine in his presentation as far as like personality type, and the female is more masculine. You can even say that in my relationship to an extent, right? But I don't, I don't like present as a as a feminine man. Right. But there's some parts of myself, especially when it comes to creativity being feminine. 
right? Whereas organization is more masculine. These are these, 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 these character types fit into each side. And you can objectively look at those and say like, hey, where do I fall on this without getting your ego tied up into what it means to be masculine or feminine, right? These are things that, that we need to understand. So when you think about masculinity, like masculine traits, and this again, has nothing to do with whether you have a dick or a pussy or you're a non-binary person. This is, a, this is kind of an objective scale. Masculinity, you gotta think like structure, goal orientation, um, risk is another one, things like that, right? When you think about feminine, you think about, um, groundedness, right? You think about empathy. You think about um, commitment is another one. Like these really important traits. And we all have both, right? I would say in all, in, when you think about it, personality type, a, a femi femininity is actually much more powerful when it comes to interpersonal relationships and, and honestly, objectivity, right? Because if you think of hyper-masculine, you're gonna have your blinders on, there's like a, 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 a detachment from other people. It's very, it's like hyper-masculinity is incredibly goal-focused, right? Let, let the fucking chips fall where they may outside of that. And hyper-femininity, you gotta look at like, that's hyper-compassionate, right? Hyper-grounded. And there's things about that. There's, there's weaknesses and strengths to both of those. So understanding where you are on this is really important. And I think when you think about being in a personal relationship or romantic relationship, it's important to balance those things out, right? Where our relationship, I think, is more almost androgynous when it comes to those things because there are areas of our relationship with me and Kelly that are I'm very masculine and she's very feminine, uh, especially sexually. And then you take it on the other, like when it comes to business stuff, I'm more in the feminine, she's more in the masculine. It's really interesting to look at that kind of stuff. So, and that works out really well, right? Because our sex life is great and our business life is great, right? But we understand our roles and I'm not trying to like step into the masculine in the business because I don't need to. She's got it covered. She's organized. She's goal-oriented. She's doing the thing, right? Where I'm like, okay, that means that, that, that lets me be in, in like creative mode, idea-making mode, which is actually on the feminine side of the spectrum. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing to play with. And uh, David Data has some great books on it, whether it comes to just like being a, a masculine man, feminine woman, vice versa, uh, sexuality when it comes to those things. Really, really, really cool stuff. So check out David Data for sure. All right, Florida, um, wait, who is this? The self-set, at the self-set says, Florida surveying college students and faculty about political views, DeSantis fears indoctrination. So this is the um, ability to pass where they're going to anonymously survey college students and faculty and staff to see, just make sure there's um, ideological diversity within the schools. I think it's cool. I'm, I'm actually, I think it's more political than it is substantive. Um, but he is going to be running for president, I assume, in 2024. And I think he's, he's, he's got a really good chance. Um, so what he's doing now, I think he's, 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 he's creating kind of a resume for himself. I think it's, like I said, more political than anything else. But he's creating a list of things like, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did, because he's kind of understanding where things are going. It's really politically smart, I think. And he understands where things are going, and he is going to be creating a laundry list of things that he's done to combat that within his state. And I will say Florida has made most other states look really stupid over the past year and a half. So between him and, and um, him and Greg Abbott in Texas, who's kind of like, it's been more mixed. Like he, he I, don't, I don't think he's running for president. So it's like, he doesn't have to worry about it. He's just trying to pander to his own people. Um, but DeSantis has a chance. DeSantis has a chance. And I think it's what he's doing here. So I'm curious to see what that data, I think that data will come out in 2022. I'm curious to see what it says, especially in Florida, which is a more conservative state, like what's going on um, within their college system and which way it skews. You would think it would skew left because intellectuals tend to, but we'll see. Um, Seabass says the decline of marriage and why men are opting out. I mean, a lot of this is economic. A lot of this is economic. Um, a lot of people are having trouble. I mean, you don't have the stability. If you are a gig worker, you don't have healthcare, right? A lot of people don't. If you work for yourself, you don't have healthcare which makes it really problematic to have a baby. It's going to cost you thousands of dollars, right? I think it's what is it like the average is like $10,000 for a birth. Like the, a lot of this is financial. Also, a lot of it is like people just waiting. I don't, I don't think that, that it's a necessarily a decline in marriage. I'd be curious to see this. I think it's a decline in young people getting married because why the fuck would you get married at 23? Why? And people be like, well, you, you know, you're more fertile or some shit. I'm like, well, dude, that's, that's you, right? The projection on people's values that like, well, it must, it, it's objectively better for people to get married younger and projecting that on everyone else is incredibly narcissistic. Incredibly. I'm 34. I'm getting, I'll be getting married this year before I turn 35. And I feel like I'm finally ready to do it. Right. I needed my life, especially coming from a small town. I needed to explore. I needed to get out. I needed to learn about myself. 
I would have gotten married to the woman I thought I was going to get married to when I was 19 or 20 or 22. I, I, I would have never had the opportunity to do a lot of the things that I would have ended up doing. I would have ended up working somewhere, making money, doing a thing, supporting a family. That would have been my goal. But I was able to do different things and explore my life and live minimally in a lot, many cases and like pick up an odd job here and there when I was just trying to figure out what the fuck I wanted to do with myself. And that's led me to a really a place that I'm in life that I'm incredibly grateful for. And I'm a part of that statistic of people not getting married. And it wasn't even sure I was going to get married. I, it wasn't like an assumption on myself that I was going to get married. And most people, I'm going to raise my kids that way. So my kids will be part of that statistic too, I hope. Where it's like, you don't have to get married. You don't have to have kids. You get to live your life. That's one of the benefits of there being an overabundance of people on the planet is that you don't have to feel pressure to do anything besides like figure out what, what you want to do with the breath that you have on this fucking planet before the lights go out and you figure out what's next. And that's cool. And more people are like that. More people are leaving Christianity, which pushes people to have kids young because they want, they need more people to make more money. It's a fucking business right? It's kind of human trafficking really at the end of the day. It's like, you need to have five kids because two of them are going to, at least two of them are going to leave the church. So we need to like have a replacement rate. That's why they want you getting married and having kids young because those kids end up indoctrinated into the faith because they went to church camp and shit. And then, you know, they tithe or whatever. So they need that Catholics, Christians, whatever religion, any, any religion, really any dogmatic religion needs that needs to keep the replacement rate high. <laughs> right. They don't, they don't like lean on the value they provide to recruit people like Buddhism does. Right? It's like people try and find, like figure themselves out. Like, Oh, they, they like find, no one like trying to figure themselves out, like goes to a Christian church that I've ever known. Right. But if you were in it from the jump, well, it's comfortable and it can provide value as far as community and things like that. So interesting stuff there, but I think the belief systems are changing. I think that we are changing as a society and I think it's for the better. I really do. I think declining marriage rates and declining birth rates are for the better. People are thinking this stuff through and they're not feeling like they need to have a kid. They're feeling like they, they're having kids when they want to have a kid. And that, I think, is a huge, huge step forward. It creates better parents, parents that are capable of raising better children into better adults who then become better parents. And that's not a problem. That is a benefit to our society. I love seeing that. Solely says masculinity how to bring back sexy strong masculine men um they're here like i don't i don't know i mean masculinity means a lot of things do you mean like burly mountain men who fucking chop wood like that's probably not going away or that's not probably not coming back unless the <laughs> society implodes um you know people are going to adjust and adapt to the world around them and what I think we need to do as opposed to being like, we need more masculine men who have like biceps and, and know how to like, you know, run a wrench. <laughs> like it's, that's cool. And there, there are those people out there. Uh, but if you live in a major city, you will not find many of those people because why would they live there? You're going to be fucking with tech bros. You know, people that are trying to create a better user experience for an app. Right. So you need to either redefine or re-understand what masculinity means. Right. Which I think is beneficial. And look at that as a, as a, in a different way. Be great. Or just go to a fucking CrossFit gym where the bros hang out. That's, that's really your options, but they're like, they're there. Like they're there. You just got to find them. And generally speaking, uh, hyper-masculine men aren't really, I mean, they may be sexy aesthetically, but they're not like communicative, not empathetic. They don't like look at someone's needs. Right. And really like honor those needs. That's not like a masculine thing to do necessarily, unless you've like really worked through it and figured some things out. So it's about a balance. It's about a balance. And right now in the world, things are a little bit more androgynous, which isn't great necessarily, but I do think it, le it leaves opportunities for people to create more productive partnerships. I really do. You know, I think masculinity and understanding masculinity and tapping into that when necessary is super important, super important. But I don't think that like, I don't believe there's a masculinity crisis. I really don't. I think that people have a little more freedom to do what they want to do. And if you're having trouble finding masculine men to be in a relationship with, there is likely some responsibility on your end to find those people, right? And it's like, where are those people hanging out? Are you hanging out where they're hanging out? I used to be a dating coach. I understand how this shit works. You know what I'm saying? There's more to it. And so your projections on the world sometimes are, are through your own lack of self-understanding, which is a harsh thing to say, but it's true. Very much is. 
sexy, strong, masculine men exist out in the world. Just got to know where they're at and find them. And it shouldn't be easy to find one. It shouldn't be easy to find somebody that's, that, that, that suits you in that way. It should be a challenge. It's more fun that way. Oh, all right, everybody. That was fun. I enjoyed that. We'll have to do that again. I'm going to go carry some boxes. Get myself out. Do the thing. Love you guys. Make sure to leave a review on the Apple Podcast. Share it with some friends. And always, always, always keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.